On this episode of Bright Future, I talk about Joe Biden's visit to Ukraine, developments in the Russian invasion since my previous episode on it, and how all of this relates to the controversy surrounding a new game that came out last week, Atomic Heart. This is a weekly political podcast that follows current events, and how we may do better so that there may be a brighter future. I'm your host, Samuel Adams, but please call me Sam. And without further ado, let's begin this week's episode, which I have titled Atomic Heart to Heart. If somehow you have not heard, on February 24th, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine as part of a massive escalation in the Russo-Ukrainian War, which began back in 2014 after the Revolution of Dignity and the Russian annexation of Crimea. In previous episodes, I covered prior events of the war, which I will quickly recap here. The sinking of the Moskva, a Russian missile cruiser. According to the Ukrainian news, on April 14th, 2022, the Moskva was struck by two Neptune missiles, which caused massive damage, flooding, and the ship sank with all hands on board. The Russian news claimed that the Moskva had been struck by lightning, some of its ammunition had detonated, and the fire was extinguished, and its escort was towing it back to port when stormy seas forced the ship to be scuttled with no casualties. In my previous episode, I talked about how both accounts were probably inaccurate, and that the only solid facts were that the Moskva had sunk. I also talked about the issue with the Zaporizhia, I'm going to mispronounce it, Zaporizhia power plant, a nuclear power plant in the middle of the battlefield. Due to constant shelling, Russia's unwillingness to turn the area around the plant into a demilitarized zone, and it, as a result, it took several tense months to fully shut down the nuclear reactors and avert all possibility of a meltdown. The issue was resolved back in September. I also talk about the Russian annexation of several Ukrainian territories in September. Russia cited that they had urged citizens to vote between remaining with Ukraine or joining Russia. The poll claimed that an overwhelming majority of Ukrainian citizens wished to join Russia, but there were many issues with the vote, such as the ballots being handed out and taken by armed Russian military members. People tend to say that they agree with the guy who brandishes a weapon at them. I also talked about in previous episodes about the possible reactions available due to the 1994 signing of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and the Budapest Memorandum. When the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991 and Ukraine was formed, Ukraine inherited nearly a third of the USSR's nuclear arsenal. But in 1994, Ukraine did the very responsible thing of dismantling these weapons. Of course, they didn't want to do so without assurances that they would still be defended. So, they signed a modified version of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty with the added Budapest Memorandum. The agreement stated that in exchange for dismantling their arsenal, Ukraine would be defended by Britain, the United States, and Russia, with a nuclear response if necessary. Russia has, of course, been blatantly violating this treaty since 2014 with their annexation of Crimea, and it's only gotten worse since then. Since my prior episodes talking about this, there have been a few major developments over the past few weeks starting with Biden's secret visit to Ukraine. Under the cover of a press blackout and a fake presidential schedule, Biden and a small media team traveled to Kyiv by a train that was named Rail Force One. This is the first time in modern history that a United States president has actually visited an active conflict zone that wasn't controlled by the American military. Both the Pentagon and the Secret Service had strongly advised Biden not to visit, but despite the risks, Biden took a total of a 24-hour trip where he and President Zelensky negotiated further support from the United States and together announced an additional $500 million in aid for Ukraine, which includes Abrams tanks, long-range weapons, and more. The visit is praised by some, saying that it showed Ukrainians an important sign of support. However, it is criticized by House Republicans for being reckless, and that it would have been much safer to visit the crash site in Ohio. Russia is also reacting negatively, of course. Most of the military is reacting with anger and embarrassment, and former Russian President Dmitry Mendedev is dismissed it as being an empty photo op, 
claiming there are already huge quantities of weapons being sent to Ukraine. Biden's trip prefaced a UN General Assembly meeting on February 23rd, where, once again, 141 countries around the world all called for an end to this invasion, and to establish lasting peace in Ukraine with the principles of the UN Charter. This is actually the second time the United Nations has voted to condemn this invasion, with the first vote to condemn Russia on October 12, 2022. But these condemnations don't really seem to be doing anything to stop Russia. The only thing that does is the aid packages to Ukraine and the sanctions against Russia. It's around this time while researching events since my last episode that I decided to, that I wanted to do something personally to help. And I can't actually find a way to... I was actually trying to find a way to mail Putin a book before finding out that even the mail has been sanctioned, so I can't. But I was planning on sending him a copy of Pride of Baghdad by Brian Vaughn and Nico Henrichen. The book has a personal touch to me. I remember seeing it on my parents' bookshelf while growing up, and wanting to read it for the longest time because it was a graphic novel, without actually realizing what it was about. When my mom finally let me read it, I didn't. I still didn't understand what it was about until rather recently. I was simply too young and uninformed. The story details how, after the United States invaded Iraq and bombed Baghdad in 2003, a zoo located there had most of its animals set loose throughout the city. It follows a pride of lions as they roam the streets trying to survive, and each of these lions comes to represent a different viewpoint of the Iraq War, but only the youngest seems to have a somewhat positive outlook. But this is because he was the only one of the pride born in captivity and doesn't even know what a sunrise is, much less anything else that is really happening around him. This is probably one of the strongest pieces of anti-war literature out there, right next to Faithful Elephants. Books, movies, TV, games, and other forms of expression can be used to show people a new perspective on ideas and issues. But most people use them to escape from the world's problems. That's why in my channel trailer for both Twitch and YouTube, I specifically state to keep politics and gaming separate. But last week, a new game called Atomic Heart thoroughly smashed through that line. I mentioned at the top of this episode that somehow all of this related to a controversy surrounding that new game, Atomic Heart. Before I even heard about this controversy, I was having misgivings about buying this game because of the ongoing invasion. At this point, the controversy has gotten so bad that the Ukrainian government is pushing to ban Atomic Heart outright. As best as I can tell, this controversy surrounding the game is best detailed by one YouTuber named Horenko who released a video titled, Please, Don't Buy Atomic Heart. I'll let the video explain the controversy to you. Today is August 9th, 1945. The US drops two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, turning the cities to dust and ending the lives of more than 200,000 people, shortly after which Japan surrenders. In celebration, the US government creates and publishes a tabletop board game called Nuclear Love, themed according to the operation performed. It was made for two players, where one would be playing on the side of the US, and the other would be playing as Japan. The game features dice that look like miniature atomic bombs, and the person who manages to bomb the other's city capital first, wins. By rules of the game, however, the US side would always have the first turn, which brought natural advantage, and the board game, despite the patriotism and popularity, failed on the market. Sounds like a rather unethical piece of military propaganda that nullifies the tragedies, right? That's because nuclear love never existed and I just made it up. But there is a similar situation that does exist that follows this formula, and it is about to be released, and its name is Atomic Heart. Horenko, you would be absolutely right. Making a board game like that about the United States dropping bombs on Japan would be very insensitive. Except Atomic Heart is nothing like that, at all. If Atomic Heart was about playing as Russia invading its neighboring countries to rebuild the Soviet Union, then yeah, that would be extremely insensitive, and I doubt many people would buy it. But that isn't what this is about. 
Atomic Heart is a game about a thinly veiled Orwellian style dystopia that rather quickly gets mixed in with Terminator. The game is set in an alternate history version of the Soviet Union where, at the end of World War II, the Third Reich sent loose the Brown Plague, which the Soviet Union was able to cure using a new substance called polymer. This advancement led to a unique opportunity. Using polymer, Soviet scientists developed advanced robotics, along with collective, an advanced neural implant that would allow you to control robots with your mind and quickly download knowledge directly into your brain to become an upstanding and productive member of society. Read between the lines of the advertisements for these implants in Atomic Heart, and you can see that it alludes that Collective will force humanity into a form of hive mind. And it turns out the hive mind aspect isn't even the worst of it, but that goes into spoiler territory. I want to preface the video by saying that if you're the type of person that is still going to buy and play something like Hogwarts Legacy despite its infamy, you might as well click off, as I'm going to explain why it's a bad idea to purchase and play Atomic Heart. Go on, you have a Joe Rogan podcast to catch up on, or play Call of Duty or something, I don't know. Off you go. Okay, I'll go. But seriously, Horenko starts his arguments by insulting his own target audience for the video, thus alienating the very people that he wants to persuade. Then he starts going over the basics of the game. The game is developed by a Russian studio called Muntfish. On the website of the studio, there is currently no mention of the fact that this is a Russian game dev. Um, it's because Muntfish isn't a Russian development company. They are, and have been for several years, an international developer with offices all over the Middle East. They do have one studio in Moscow and one in St. Petersburg, but they are headquartered in Cyprus. So, now that we've established that this is actually a Russian studio, what is their opinion on the war going on? What could be their stance on this tragic matter that could save and keep their public image and also not tank the sales? Let's read out loud together. Guys, we have noted the questions surrounding where we at Muntfish stand. We want to assure you that Muntfish is a developer and studio with a global team focused on an innovative game and is undeniably a pro-peace organization against violence against people. We do not comment on politics or religion. Rest assured, we're a global team focused- Hold on, stop. We do not comment on politics? You're making a game that sole idea is USSR renewal and communism. You classified your game as inspired by Bioshock and Prey, yet you go the no politics in my video game route? Of course Munfish didn't outright say they denounced the invasion. They have a studio in Moscow and St. Petersburg, and their employees and families there could face retaliation from the Russian government if they did. It was probably risky to even post that tweet saying they didn't like violence. And the game is not about renewing the Soviet Union, or communism, or even politics. It's about robots turning homicidal, and you putting them down, over a Soviet Union-style backdrop. It's like the VR game Robo Recall, but with an atom punk art style. Now, let's look at the CEO of Muntfish, whose name is Robert Bagratuni. Except that it isn't. His actual name is Maxim Zatsepin. Max previously had a position of a creative director slash top manager in Mail.ru, which is now presented as VK, the biggest social media platform in Russia. It doesn't take much to figure out that a platform that is based in Russia, directed and controlled by Russia, and is used only by Russians, will have a strict pro-Russian stance. But it doesn't end there. Meet Yevgenia Sidova. As the founder of Muntfish, she's a former model and an owner of a modeling agency. She worked at New Media Stars, where she was in charge of the computer graphics department. That company is now in charge of various pro-Russian mass media, such as Zgladru and Dniru. According to the former employees of the company, all Muntfish transactions and checks are on her behalf. Yes, it's almost as if she's the founder of the company, so of course the checks are on her behalf. What do the CEO and founder's resumes and past employment have to do with the game? Hating the founder and CEO for prior work in Russia that happened far before the invasion began doesn't make sense. 
in no way did these companies contribute to or plan the invasion. Also, hating the CEO for having multiple names is not only xenophobic, but it's also fairly common practice to have multiple names. To my knowledge, many Asian immigrants to the United States choose to have an Asian name and a separate American name as well, specifically to avoid xenophobia. It wouldn't surprise me if the millions of Russians immigrating to avoid getting drafted are doing something similar. Baranko goes on to talk about the game's shady marketing in the past, from their first teaser trailer from 2017. Let me paint you a picture. An unknown company posts a small teaser trailer of some generic assets and a description to cause hype with all of the effort to guide you to their pre-order page where you would be met with a $60 base game, $90 pre-order for Gold Edition and $100 for Premium Edition. Mind you, you see these price tags and there is exactly 2 minutes of badly made teaser trailer footage with no gameplay to serve as the video game's representation and marketing. Actually, Hranko, that first teaser trailer is 1 minute and 5 seconds long. The first half is some wide shots to establish some world building before the second half does show gameplay. In addition, this practice of pre-orders is basically the norm for gaming at this point, most famously is Star Citizen. It was supposed to release back in 2014, but still isn't out yet today, despite over $500 million in funding. But this pre-order practice is also easy enough to avoid. Simply don't pre-order games. This is actually my personal code. It only took the botched launch of Cyberpunk 2077 to put me off ever pre-ordering a game ever again. Renko is right though, it definitely isn't ethical to have pre-orders available without a planned launch date. But it's also what every other game does to get initial funding so they don't need to rely on investors as much. Speaking of investors... Arts revenue. The investors of the studio are Chinese Tencent, and Russian GEM Capital and Gaijin Entertainment. Tencent is rather infamous because of previous controversies surrounding the censorship and data collecting, but it is also a Chinese-based company. It can't exactly say no to the Chinese government when they tell Tencent to cover something up or give them user data. GEM Capital is... Wait, Horenko said that it was a Russian company. And that was true up until about a year ago, when GEM Capital picked up and moved their whole company to Cyprus in protest of the invasion of Ukraine. And I probably should have mentioned earlier when I said Munfish was based in Cyprus. If you are worried that these companies are moving to Cyprus to dodge Russian sanctions, you should know that Cyprus is literally on Russia's shit list. That's not a joke. Cyprus is part of the EU, and when the invasion began, Every EU country, including Cyprus, imposed harsh sanctions, which landed every EU country on Russia's, quote, list of unfriendly countries, hence, shit list. And Gaijin Entertainment isn't even an investment company like the other two. It's a game publisher based in Hungary and isn't even the publisher of Atomic Heart. Gaijin's only involvement in Atomic Heart is some cross-promotional marketing. Speaking of marketing, Heart. Another point that rubs me the wrong way is the recent marketing strategy. It seems like their marketing team realized that their previous shady strategy has failed to bring in pre-orders, so they went with another plan to make typical capital G gamers buy their game which is, of course, none other than through sexualization and objectification of women. So far I have avoided showing these characters on screen, but I am talking about the couple of female USSR-styled robots that they suddenly added in recent trailers and thumbnails to get the attention of the lusty neckbeards. Just by- Once again, you are insulting your target audience. Horenko is talking about the twins, a pair of 8 foot 9 inch tall, wait, Soviet Union, 270 centimeter tall robots that look like ballerinas, constantly on their tiptoes and very graceful and precise in their movements. 
They started showing up in trailers about three months prior to the launch of the game, though they barely appear for a few seconds at a time and in thumbnails. And maybe Hironko is right that they were added to, well, improve their marketing. To which I respond, isn't this the norm for modern adult video games? Resident Evil 8 has Lady Dimitriku, Death Stranding has Mama, Cyberpunk has Pan Am, the Horizon series has Aloy, and on and on. But all of these games are very adult and deal with mature themes. In addition, these characters that I've just mentioned are not simply one-dimensional sex objects. They have much more complex personalities that make them far more intriguing as people. Atomic Heart is no different with the twins. In fact, the marketing is actually a very clever hint of their true nature, though of course I won't go into more details to avoid spoilers. They were definitely not simply shoehorned in as a marketing stunt three months prior to the launch, and it's definitely not as big a deal as Horenko tries to make it seem. It's also actually illegal. For example, in Ukraine, our parliament adopted a law abetting sexism in advertising, which became active in January 2022. Elected officials have banned showing the superiority of one gender over another in physical, intellectual, or social aspect, showing stereotypical roles of men and women, gender-based violence, as well as the human body as a sexual object. In at no point during any of the trailers is it depicted that the twins are inferior or superior to any other character in any aspect, in any way. In addition, during the trailers, the twins show up for barely a second at any given time, which is nowhere near enough time to actually depict any form of stereotypical role. The only thing about them that you can really tell from the trailers is that they are tall, powerful, precise robots designed to look like ballerinas. And no, Horenko, they are not lesbians. Simpler terms, it's just gross and cheap. And what pains me to say is that it seems to be working. These YouTube shorts and edits are getting millions of views, quickly becoming favorite among the fans, who quickly started to spread rumors about a possible six-hour sex scene in the video game. It's so wrong on so many levels. Horenko... It's called a joke. As most jokes go, it started with a simple, grounded premise, a sex scene, in which a mature video game is reasonable. But then, it made an absurd twist on that premise to induce humor. No one there ever expected there to actually be a six-hour-long cutscene of any kind in any video game ever. Well, except for Quantum Break, which came with the whole TV series, and also flopped miserably. At this point, having watched the video that I believe details the controversy surrounding the game, I was still on the fence. Only one thing was giving me pause. My initial worry that led me down this path of research, that my money might make it to the Russian war effort through taxes. But the game is available on Steam, which is owned by Valve, and beginning nearly a year ago, Russian game developers were blocked from receiving any income from Valve due to sanctions which are still in place. Not one penny of any purchases on Steam will ever make it to Russian taxes while these sanctions are in place. And so, with suspicion thoroughly disproven, I bought the game. And I finished it in two days, because I have no self-restraint. Having completed it, I can tell you that the game is in no way whatsoever supporting the Soviet Union or the invasion of Ukraine. And at this point, I'm going to start going into some spoiler territories. At the end of the game, your character, P3, prevents the Soviet Union from activating the Atomic Heart Project and taking over the entire world, during which time P3 remarks on how evil it is to invade other countries. That's a pretty overt anti-invasion message. A lot of comparisons are being drawn between Atomic Heart and Bioshock, and that those games are rather similar. However, I'd like to draw a new comparison. I believe that Atomic's Heart's story is strongly inspired by George Orwell, specifically his novels 1984 and Animal Farm, with several themes and phrases directly lifted from the books and put into the game. A thought device, 
some are more equal than others, and more. Much like how Orwell was anti-Stalin, so is this game. If you dissect the game like a piece of literature in your English class, you will notice that the story that the developers tell claims that, even if the Soviet Union had this extremely advanced technology, the USSR still would have failed because of its series of inherent flaws. And the game reflects this, with one of the last cutscenes literally having you watch as the iconic hammer and sickle get shattered to pieces. Despite this imagery, Alex Bornyakov, the Ukraine Deputy Minister of Digital Transformation, is planning to send, or may already have by now, a letter to Sony, Valve, and Microsoft to request that the game be banned because it is toxic, pro-Soviet, and that the money will go towards the Russian war effort. And, as far as I can tell, all of this was sparked from Horenko's video. Horenko, if you somehow listened to this episode and did somehow make it to this point despite my critique of your video, I did title it Atomic Heart to Heart, because I wanted to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk here. It is good to be wary of where your money might go when you purchase things, not just because that money may somehow end up supporting a war, but also because by purchasing something from a company, you may, in a way, be supporting that company's business practices. For example, Horenko, on your YouTube channel, all of your other videos are about Destiny 2. By making purchases in Destiny, are you intentionally supporting Activision Blizzard's frat boy culture, workplace sexual harassment, and other inappropriate business practices? I don't believe so. You play Destiny because it's a fun game, and while you are playing it or making videos, you probably aren't thinking about the business side of things. But it is important to do proper and solid research before voting with your dollar. In addition, when you are delivering your argument, it is important to follow debate rules and not fall victim to fallacies. Specifically, your video started with a poor comparison, a false equivalence fallacy, before insulting your target on several occasions. For this podcast, I have a series of rules, and the very first one is not to insult each other. The reason why isn't just because I don't like it when people call me a fat four-eyed loser. It's because insults are irrelevant to the main topic, a red herring fallacy. In addition, throughout your arguments, you use what is called kettle logic. You use multiple jointly inconsistent arguments to defend your position. For example, the names of the higher-ups at Munfish aren't really relevant to the points that you're trying to defend. Look too deeply into anything, and I guarantee you, you can find something terrible about it. The question is, are you able to differentiate between vague correlations and substantial ties? And if there are substantial ties, will you tell the world about it in a clear, logically sound manner? If so, we may be able to more definitively separate good from bad and decide to only blame the one man responsible for this invasion, Putin. It is not the fault of an entire country, and it definitely isn't the fault of one game developer. Munfish is simply a victim of circumstance that just wanted to make a cool game. Blaming them is like blaming Asian immigrants for the coronavirus. It simply does not follow. I urge you to be far more careful when assigning blame, and avoid xenophobia, the fear or prejudice of something or someone, purely because of their country of origin. If we can, we may start heading towards a brighter future. All right, Jack, you're the only one in the voice chat. What do you think? This is a heck of a lot of overkill. I agree with your opinions on Bungie. Well, it's not an opinion. Sure. There's a lawsuit. <laughs> okay, yes, there's a lawsuit, but there's also plenty of opinion on the factor that, yeah, Bungie is really corrupt, and kind of well, it's not it's not Bungie that I was even talking about. Bungie is the developer. I'm talking about the publisher, Activision Blizzard. Yeah. And they do have strong ties to Destiny 2. Yeah. Did you end up buying Atomic Heart or playing it at all? No. I do recommend it, especially if you like Bioshock, Portal, or great soundtracks. 
it does have a, an amazing soundtrack. I will be honest, though. The one thing that I disagree with um, wasn't Bungie or Blizzard. Blizzard! Uh, there's a dozen games that they've created that I don't like for the simple factor that they have so much pay to win that is absolutely unfair. Well, it's not even like the pay to win that's the problem. It's the, well, that one employee that basically made the quote that defines how that company works, the frat boy culture is what they called it. Basically, constant workplace sexual harassment and various other inappropriate business practices, which led to an investigation by California before the state filed a lawsuit specifically about that. But, like, we don't think about all of that when we're playing the game. We just want to have fun. That's what we're doing. Yeah, but how can you have fun? When their business practices are reflected in the product they make. Yeah. They make a scummy product that is designed to drain you for every dollar you're worth. True, but I don't think Haranko well, sees it that way. I think that he enjoys the game. He makes a lot of videos on it. Like, every other video yeah. on his channel is about Destiny 2, except for this one on Atomic Heart. Gross. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like the game. Well, I, I've already mentioned that. I do like the game because I do feel that it's it's definitely not pro-Soviet. Like, even that last cutscene of the hammer and sickle getting shattered and falling around you. It was an amazing moment for sure when I first experienced it. So I'm definitely going to have to play through the game again on a live stream. Yeah, that makes Um... I don't get how he extrapolated some of these ideas. I don't think he was ever taught a proper method to research and how correlation works correctly. To be honest, I ended up disproving most of these things just with a simple Google search, but I did end up finding serious like correlations between or serious things that disproved many points that he had. And like, he even talked about the prior work experience of, like, the uh, the CEO and the founder. Like, that's their resume, which doesn't exactly have a lot to do with this game. And it's not like they got hired because of that resume. They're the CEO and founder. They made the company. They didn't need to get hired. Oh, yeah. And they made the company in Cyprus, not in Russia. Yes. I mean, if you're going to make anything at all that's anti a country, uh, why would you go to make it in that country? Yeah, that's a fair point. But, like, he does, Horenko does have a point. A lot of Russian media took this game, and they basically said that it's a Russian developer. But also, I even mentioned earlier how Russian media lies... <laughs> Oh, yeah, they do plenty of that from what I've heard. Well, specifically, the example I used was about the sinking of the Moskva. We know for a fact that the Moskva sunk, and we know for a fact that Ukraine struck it with at least one Neptune missile. At least, that's according to United States intelligence. But Russian news refuses to say that the Moskva was struck by a Neptune missile, and says that the Moskva was actually struck by lightning instead. Yeah, totally. It definitely yeah, didn't happen it, that way. It's not like a ship like that has to be designed to protect its munitions from a lightning strike. The engineers behind a ship like that would know better than to allow anything like that to be remotely possible. Yeah. Understand how lightning works and how lightning rods work. Well, because it's not impossible to disperse electricity. Well, I don't want to turn around and go and say this for sure, but isn't the media in Russia controlled by the government and not like freedom of the press? 
I believe so. You believe so? I, I don't. I'm I not mean, sure about that. Yeah, but... and even if it isn't, since they have the entire, if you speak out against the country, you might get killed. You, no, not even killed. You'll just get disappeared. For... You never existed. Yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of reason for them to fear even talking out about it. That's why they have to make these things subtle. They can't go and say, oh, I hate the invasion in Ukraine, because yeah. there, ha there are many Russian citizens who do that, and I think the millions of Russians just leaving the country to avoid getting drafted would agree that the invasion of Ukraine is just immoral. And so that's why they have to make it subtle. They can't go and overtly say Soviet Union bad. They have to do it in like a way that you'd have to dissect it like an English class book. Which is really clever and a lot of fun to play. Oh yeah. I can imagine. If I had to describe the game, it would be like Bioshock's combat mixed with portals, puzzles. Hold on, which Bioshock? Um... I've only actually played one of them. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> Were you under the ocean or in the skies? Under the ocean. Okay. I remember the lighthouse played... and going down under the ocean. That's that's what I remember. You played Bioshock 1. Bioshock Infinite would be a great game for you to do a story on later. Or... Okay. Or at least, like, an episode of The Front Log, which is a different thing I got here, where I play video games that have just been sitting in my inventory for way too long. Oh, no, some of the social economic things it goes over is perfect. Otherwise, you're going to get confused by the time travel stuff. Of course, time travel is always confusing. Don't, it's just... Well, there's only one time travel story that I actually like, and that's Back to the Future. And even that's, like, not amazing yeah, when it yeah. comes to this time travel story. I'm gonna get roasted for that one, aren't I? Uh, it's not gonna be me who does the roasting if you do. Yeah. There was something else I was gonna add about another comparison. For another game. And I, I don't remember what it was. I just thought about it. While doing the. While doing the episode. Crap. Um, let me open Steam. And go through my games list. To see if I can find it. Games. It would be like. Because there are a bunch of other games that do take place in, like, the Soviet Union and things like that. But we aren't, like, hating on those, so why why this one? Because it's relevant and new. Because it is new, yeah. It's the forefront of what's coming out, what's going on. And it just happens to be coming out at a bad time. That really sucks for it, yeah. Is there anything we can really do about it? Not directly. Yeah, probably not. We can kind of try to help with? Yes, we can try to help and get the word out that, hey, this isn't what they say it is. Because this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But at the same time, the type of stuff that he's saying is what fuels media right now. Yeah. And unfortunately, that that's something that actually gives me the point where I want to have, nowadays, media outlets have to put fact or opinion-based disclaimers at the beginning of articles. That used to be a thing, didn't it? There would be, like, an opinion section. 
Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that most of the time for opinion sections, they were just doing product reviews. Maybe. But, like, the thing is about this, it's very easy to twist how you tell a story to make it cited one way or another. You can use, like, wording that leads you to think in a certain direction while just reading the story. It's very oh, yeah. subtle, but it definitely can change your opinion on it. Well, the unfortunate inevitability is all... any type of article, any type of written document, there is bias. This is something you have to know. This is something you should understand. Anything and everything that's written has bias in it. Whether it's a document about a Star Wars review or something as simple as a paper on how sodium crystals work. There's some amount of bias somewhere in it all. True, but you should at least try to, when you're trying to deliver facts, avoid that bias. Yeah. And some people are good at it. But some people don't understand that's how it works. Yeah. I do try to do that, to at least, like, separate bias from, or, like, facts from opinion during my podcast. But I don't, like, overtly say, here are the facts, then here are my opinions about those facts. I don't go and overtly say that. Maybe I should. But also I feel like that would be... be a helpful fact to it. Maybe. I don't know. Something I think about adding in the future. I do like how uh, in the past few episodes what I've done is I've ended by urging a group of people like the government or the audience or a specific person on what I would like them to do to actually improve our world. Oh, right. Something I should have mentioned was, did you see about the... I don't remember, it was the... Was it the Department of Energy that did it? Or... There was an article by the Department of Energy that they published saying that coronavirus came from a lab, or probably came from a lab. And that kind of throws a wrench in my comparison of, like, blaming Asian immigrants for the coronavirus, I guess. I mean, it's still valid. You don't want to go and blame a group of people for something that they aren't at fault for. They didn't run the lab. They didn't let the thing out. But still, like, that came from a lab? That's not good. Blame for it. Yeah. But you also shouldn't be racist towards somebody because of something their government did or like hate something because of its country of origin that's what xenophobia is yeah especially if they're like immigrants they're trying to they're trying to get out yeah i was gonna say wouldn't that be like blaming the theory of relativity for the holocaust because albert einstein was a jewish immigrant getting out and coming to America? I mean, that or... Blaming, uh... Edison for gravity. Edison? Or... I can't remember. Edison's the light bulb guy. Uh, that would be Newton. Yeah, blaming Newton for gravity. Nah, he just discovered it? I don't know. It, it gets foggy when you go into stuff like that. He's the first person to write documented theorem about on the existence of gravity. Yeah. And also, like, orbits and stuff like that. But now we're getting, like, way off topic from, you know, Atomic Heart and this controversy. I don't. I don't think well, we're I mean, I understand. As far. I, I understand how the controversy came out. It is a Soviet Union themed game that happens to come out around the one year anniversary of the invasion, which is just bad timing. I feel really bad for Munfish because 
they just wanted to make a cool game, man. And it is a cool game. Oh. It's just bad timing all around. You know what? I just remembered what I disagree with you on. Oh. I think Cyberpunk was not the worst thing you could have bought. No, it, if it, you were going to pre-order something, yeah, I would it, say Fallout seventy six would have been. Yeah, Fallout seventy six would be worse. But I didn't pre-order Fallout seventy six. Cyberpunk's the thing that I did, and it did have a rough launch. It is a lot better now, and I very much look forward to the DLC that they're releasing later this year. I mean. That, and you include all the free content that they've given us. Oh, yeah. Because, look, we couldn't get everything done in time. We tried to do as much as we could. They've tried to make up for their mistake, yeah. At least they've tried to make up for their mistake. But still, I'm not going to go and pre-order a game anymore because, well, of that example. Instead, I'll wait until the game comes out and then I'll buy it. The only time I would pre-order anything for any sort of game is if I could trust the game producer to keep to their word. And I think the only game company that I really trust to do that right now is Digital Extreme. Well... Even they have they if everything they do is buggy as shit. They are at least honest about it. Well, usually. But yeah. It took games nearly ten years old and they've never done any sort of like Excalibur prime release because that was because that was part of the yeah they are at least they are faithful to that because okay so context for the people listening to the podcast who don't know warframe is what we're talking about warframe is a game that was developed and published by digital extremes a canadian development company in 2013 and they offered pre-orders when they made warframe and they offered like a founder's pack And if you bought that Founders Pack, you would receive a Warframe and a pair of weapons that you could only get from that Founders Pack, and you would never get it anywhere else in the game, ever. And no one else after it could obtain it. No one else after it could obtain it. So, if you bought the Founders Pack, you have Excalibur Prime. No one else does. And no one else ever will. And that's how it's been for the past nine almost ten years now that no one else has gotten Excalibur Prime except for the people that bought those founder packs so Digital Extremes is very honest when it comes to that they did make like a a consolation prize a few years ago uh, another version of Excalibur that's actually better than the Prime version though not by much it's a utility benefit if anything but now that we have the Archon shards, the small benefit that Excalibur Prime had isn't as much of a big deal. True. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Digital Extremes has been very honest, and they've stuck to it. That doesn't mean that they don't have their other problems. The game is does, and probably always will have a series of bugs that will frustrate me to no end, like the uh, skip cinematic bug for every time you start a mission. If you and another player try to skip the cinematic at the same time, it will never skip, and you have to watch the full thing instead. It's not super long, though, so it's not a massive deal, but it's still frustrating. Oh yeah, it's a nuisance. I mean, most of the time, you might as well just be like, okay, only the host can skip it. Well, then, you know, if anyone who isn't a host wants to skip it, they're screwed. The best way to probably fix that would to make the skip cutscene client-side instead of game-based, so it doesn't affect everyone. Yeah. That would work, too. 
Is there anything else to add to this controversy? Uh, well, I mean, I should say that by making this argument, I'm not saying you should go buy Atomic Heart to support Munfish. What I'm saying is you shouldn't let this controversy stop you from buying it if you're interested. If you like the idea of a first-person shooter that has great combat, it has puzzles that are on par with Portal, it has this amazing soundtrack, it has this Adam Punk art style, and this George Orwell-type story all wrapped into one, then you should go and get it. The game is very, very good for what it tries to accomplish, and I'm def it's definitely worth a second playthrough. It's probably not worth a full $60. The game is not super long, but I do recommend it. Anything else that you think we should add? I don't think there really is anything we can add at this juncture. Other than try at least try to avoid logical fallacies if you want to argue against it. Or you might be the subject of this show next time. No, if you want to criticize how I criticized this argument, go for it. I want to change my mind. Go for it. I will listen to your argument as long as it doesn't, you know, like overtly try to insult me or anything like that. Just make a logical argument against me. Show me the facts. And uh, check and the description. Show me the car facts. Show me the car facts. And check the description for more information, including the resources I used to build this episode. And all the places where you can find my podcast. You can also join our Discord server to discuss these and other topics, as well as join in when these episodes are recorded live every Monday at 7pm Central. If you would like to support the show or spread the word, I have a merch store full of items that show off both the show's logo and icons for these individual episodes. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Bright Future. These episodes are released every Tuesday at 6pm Central, so I'll see you back here next week.